Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to Leeds United. The Gunners return to Premier League action after a victory in Europe away at Bodo Glimt, albeit not the most... Uh, enthralling Arsenal display that we've seen so far this season but we got the points and that's ultimately what matters but attention and focus as I say shifts back to the Premier League for this one a trip to Ellen Road never an easy place to go as Chelsea will tell you they went there earlier in the season and got beaten by three goals to nil Leeds haven't had the greatest start to their campaign generally speaking and we'll come on to talk about them in a little bit but I just feel like with the World Cup on the horizon and games against Leeds United and then Southampton. And then, uh, of course, we've got Nottingham Forest as well in the not-too-distant future. It feels really important to me that we get as many points on the board as we possibly can going into that World Cup break. We don't know what the break's going to do to us. We don't know how it's going to disrupt our rhythm. We don't know how it's going to disrupt our momentum. We don't know if we're going to lose players to injuries. Hopefully, we don't at the World Cup. So, I'm kind of like treating it right now as like, this is kind of like do or die. Let's get as many points as we can on the board now. And then we'll see where we are when the World Cup is done and Premier League football returns. And then we can maybe possibly adjust our objectives for the remainder of the season. But at the moment, at this moment in time, for me, it's still about top four. And when people are talking about Arsenal being title contenders and Arsenal challenging, um, you know, for the big one, I'm not there yet. I still look at every victory that we've had this season, every point that we've picked up as another step towards hopefully booking our place in next season's UEFA Champions League. So I'm certainly not getting ahead of myself. What do I expect from Leeds United? Well, I expect a, a difficult game. I expect an intense game. Jesse March wants to play a very intense and attacking and sometimes open style of football. And I think to a degree that's been his downfall at points. I think that Marcelo Bielsa was heavily criticised for being sort of married to one way of playing, um, you know, married to a, a certain philosophy and was very reluctant at any point, really, to kind of drift away from that. And ultimately, people say that's why he had to go, because Leeds weren't getting results. Leeds were struggling and they needed to make that change. Jesse Marsh is not the same as Marcelo Bielsa, but he is someone who puts a big emphasis on attacking football, who wants to play a high-intensity game. And I think if you look back to his time at RB Leipzig, you'd say that that was maybe the reason why he didn't work there, because he never wanted to, to like Bielsa, sort of get away from his values and never wanted to kind of... Um, What's the word? Compromise on that, I guess. So I'm really, really interested to see how he's going to approach this game. I think what we've got now 
is is respect from our peers. And, and we didn't have that going into this season. But I think slowly, week on week, Arsenal have convinced people that they're a much better outfit than they have been in the past. You listen to Jurgen Klopp heaping praise on Mikel Arteta and some of our players. Jesse Marsh has been highly complimentary. David Moyes has been very complimentary of Arteta on Talk Sport this week. Um, you know, and, you know, it just keeps coming, doesn't it? Kevin De Bruyne, even, of Manchester City uh, has been sitting there sort of saying how good a job Mikel Arteta has done. And what you feel is like the tide is turning, like the respect for Arsenal is growing and building, even if some people still don't want to admit it. But what comes with that is other difficulties, right? You now need to maybe at times switch it up a little bit. People have watched you closely. People know what you're about. People suss out your game plan. Um, people will be a little bit more reserved going into games against you in terms of their approach and how they set up. Do they play with a low block? And, and what that brings is different challenges. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see how this one's going to go. One thing that will be a factor, there's no question about that, is the Ellen Road atmosphere. It's something that, you know, people talk about at certain atmospheres in the Premier League and they talk about them being myths. I think that Ellen Road is, is not one of those places. It's certainly somewhere where they do make a lot of noise. They do get behind their team. It's a passionate crowd. It's a tight, old-style football stadium. But what I would say is wherever you go, no matter how good the atmosphere is rumoured to be or thought to be, if you go there and impose yourselves early on, you can silence crowds. You can create a nervousness and an anxiety that grips hold of supporters and I think we've been really good at starting games fast and, and we've been able to do that on some of our away trips so far. I mean, even Old Trafford, right, where we lost in the end. I was at that game and I didn't think the atmosphere was anything uh, to shout about, anything to rave about uh, from a Manchester United perspective until after they'd taken the lead. Um, you know, and, and even in between them taking the lead in the first place and sort of then our equaliser and then them going on and getting another goal, it was dead then as well because Arsenal gave the Man United fans reasons to be nervous, to be anxious, to be unhappy with what they were seeing from their side. And, and I think it's really important we do that at Leeds, that we go there and we set the tone really, really early. Because if you let them grow into the game, if you let the crowd get behind them, then all of a sudden it becomes a much sterner challenge. Now, it's the Premier League, so you're not going to have it all your own way every single week. You're not going to have it all your own way from the off every single time. And if we are going to push on, if we are going to make the Champions League, um, you know, if we are going to maybe even go further, if people want to jump on that bandwagon, then what we need to do is show character when it's required. And we've done it a couple of times this season, um, but we need to keep doing it. It needs to be a, a constant thing. And, you know, Mikel Arteta spoke in midweek about the camaraderie within the group and within the squad. And when asked what his secret is or, or how he makes sure that that is there, he was, you know, he was very sort of sort of blunt in saying, well, if you keep winning, that builds, doesn't it? So, yeah, we've got to keep this going. Um, you know, we really, really do. If we look at the recent meetings between the two sides, now, obviously, uh, Leeds have only been back in the Premier League uh, for a couple of seasons now. So there's not an awful lot to go by in recent history. But when you look at uh, the recent meetings, obviously, Arsenal beat Leeds United at Emirates Stadium uh, back in May uh, by two goals to one. And of course, earlier in that season at Ellen Road, we were 4-1 winners. Uh, I remember Gabby Martinelli having a great game that day. Now, the season prior, um, which was, of course, the COVID season, um, we did beat 
leads by four goals to two at Emirates Stadium on Sunday, 14th of February. But we were held to a nil-nil draw. And that was that game that a lot of people refer back to as maybe a, a moment in which Mikel Arteta as a manager grew up a little bit you know, in terms of sort of off the back of that, because he was very critical of Nicolas Pepe that day, if you remember. And since then, I think he's changed his approach. Maybe he learned, understood the error of his ways. I think we were quite vocal about it at the time that, you know, maybe he could have dealt with that better. He could have handled the situation better. And, and it was clear to me that he didn't help Nicolas Pepe in any way, shape or form by being so critical of him so publicly in the way that he was. So the recent meetings, you know, yeah, um, tell us that, you know, we, we've got the upper hand over Leeds. We are a better side than Leeds. The table tells you that. But this is the Premier League and nothing is a given and you can't take anything for granted and you certainly can't take a trip to Ellen Road for granted. Now, Leeds' team has changed quite a bit under Jesse Marsh, OK? They've lost Rafinha. They've lost Calvin Phillips. Uh, they've lost some really, really key players. And Jesse Marsh is essentially having to reinvent the wheel a little bit. So I wanted to take a look at their last lineup, which was in the game um, against uh, against Crystal Palace. Ilan Melier, the goalkeeper, of course, good young goalkeeper, does have a mistake in him, you have to say. Um, but I think overall, he's been a great acquisition for them. Their defence is made up or was made up last week anyway of, of Robin Koch, the German international, uh, Liam Cooper, their captain, Pascal Strout and Rasmus Christensen. Decent players individually, players that are quite capable on the ball, um, particularly in the case of, of Strauch and, and Koch, which is something that Jesse March will feel is important um, based on the way that they want to play. But then you take it on to their midfield and you'll you'll see quite a few technicians in there. You have to say, um, Tyler Adams is a player that Arsenal fans have been talking about for a while, that has been linked with our club on numerous occasions. Not somebody, I have to be honest, I'm totally convinced about, but Tyler Adams is a name that we've heard about. And I think he's had a, a relatively good impact on this lead side since coming to the Premier League. Uh, Mark Rocker in midfield, incredibly technical, really good player. And Rodrigo, who's uh, been in decent form from a goal-scoring perspective this season, will probably play just in behind the striker. And he's someone that will look to get in between the lines and somebody that we have to keep a very close eye on. Now, in the wide areas, you're looking at uh, Jack Harrison, who I think can be a nuisance. I think I've I've watched him a lot of times over the last few seasons, even when they were in the championship, and he is a nuisance. He's got the ability to impact games. He's got the ability to hurt people, likes to take players on. And I think when Arsenal inevitably tuck their fullbacks in and play that inverted style, Jack Harrison might be licking his lips and thinking, well, if I stay wide, um, you know, and, and Leeds can get the ball to me, then I can inflict some damage. I can pick it up. I can run at uh, defenders and I can attack the penalty area. So he's someone to watch for sure. But also Brendan Aronson on the right-hand side is somebody that we... Brendan Aronson is somebody that I think we need to really uh, keep tabs on. So I've been impressed with in flashes at the start of this new season. I don't think he's always delivered as he did right at the start of the campaign, but now that I've said that, you probably have a blinder tomorrow. So he's a player capable of creating, capable of causing us problems. And, um, you know, as is the case with everybody that you face in the Premier League now, every team, every club has players that you've got to be wary of. And Patrick Bamford up front, look, throughout his career, he's had a lot of stick for not scoring enough goals wherever he's been. But at Leeds, he seems to have found a home. And he had a lot of injury problems of late and he's back in the picture now. 
I watched him um, against when they played Brentford a few weeks ago. I was covering Leeds' game for BBC Radio London. And, um, and you know, Leeds obviously got battered that day. But there were moments... Um, there were moments where you looked at that lead side and you thought the build-up play was nice, the football was good, um, the the patterns of play were were encouraging from a Leeds perspective. But obviously, it went south for them on that day, and Jesse Marsh got himself sent off, and you know that kind of just set the tone really for what was then to follow, which was Brentford essentially then taking another step towards annihilating Leeds United and beating them very comfortably on the day. But Bamford is a very clever striker. Doesn't always apply the finishing touch, but has proven that he makes intelligent runs. He's a great link-up player and he's somebody that we have to be mindful of. So as I keep saying, when you're in the Premier League, every week you'll come up against players that you need to be mindful of. What I'd like to think is that Arsenal have got themselves into a place where we're so confident in the way that we play and we've now got the quality that means that we don't have to be obsessed by opponents. We have to be wary. We have to be aware. We have to do our preparation. We have to do our due diligence. And I'm confident that Mikel Arteta and his side make sure that that happens. But ultimately, um, you know, we've got to go out there and impose our game. That's what big teams do. And Arsenal are on their way back to being a big team. I still won't sit here and say that we're definitely that yet. We're a huge club, no question about that. But are we an elite team in terms of will we be able to compete for the biggest prizes? We're not in the Champions League, so that leaves the Premier League. Can we compete with Manchester City and go all the way? I'm still to be convinced, partly because I'm an Arsenal fan and I don't want to get carried away and then have the come down that will inevitably come if Manchester City switch into another gear, which we all know they're capable of and go on an incredible run. But also because, you know, the history suggests that Arsenal had fallen quite a long way. And, and although we're on the way back, I don't think we're we're a side that you can say are, are nailed on to, to be in the title race come, you know, May at this stage. So, yeah, let, let's see what happens. But I think whilst we should be aware and wary of these players, as I say, and, and take steps to maybe minimalise their impact, we need to be first and foremost focused on playing our own game. An example is like last week, right? We played Liverpool, who everybody knows are a top, top side, despite what their form has been like at the start of this season. And we took a step by playing Tomiyasu uh, at left back to to make sure that we dealt with Mo Salah to give us an advantage over Mo Salah, who Mikel Arteta clearly identified as a huge threat and as a huge potential problem. I don't think I would go that far against Leeds in the sense of I don't think I would be saying, well, you know, we got to worry about Harrison, so let's play a different fullback. Or we got to worry about Aronson on the other side, so let's play a different fullback. I think I'm confident enough in Arsenal's own game that if we impose ourselves in the right way, we'll be fine. Whereas against Liverpool, you can play your own game. You can do it very well, but they still have the quality to hurt you and beat you regardless. So I think this differs in that sense. So you probably gathered what my answer is going to be on the whole left-back question, which we'll come on to a little bit later on. Um just touching on on the whole left back thing though, just quickly because um, Kieran Tierney gave an interview yesterday. There was a clip of it doing the rounds on social media in which he spoke about the fact that he was gutted to have been told that he wasn't going to play against Liverpool. I thought he spoke about it so well. You know, that's exactly the attitude we want to see from our players, right? You want to play. Of course you bloody want to play. Um, of course you want to be involved in those big games. And of course he was gutted not to play. 
But the fact that he was able to kind of sit back, look at the situation, um, you know, and, and say, look, Mikel made a decision on a tactical basis and it was a decision that worked. It kind of makes it easier for players, I think, to accept those tough calls when the rewards are then there for everybody to see. And the reward was there. Tomiyasu dealt with Mo Salah impeccably well. And as a consequence of that, Arsenal were aided in their efforts to win the game. So I think Kieran Tierney displayed the right attitude there. Like you want him to be gutted. You want him to be frustrated that he's not playing. But equally, you want him to understand that, um, you know, it was it was done for the team and it was done in a sense for the greater good, if you want to call it that. So, yeah, um, you know, great interview there. And he talked about the struggles that he's had this season, you know, getting used to not starting every week. is It's not something he's ever had to deal with, you know, in previous seasons at Arsenal, whenever he was fit, whenever he was available, he was in the starting lineup. You know, at Celtic, when he was fit, when he was available, he was in the starting lineup. But with Zinchenko coming in and the slight tactical differences that we've seen in terms of the role that is now required of players playing in that position, he, um, yeah, it, it's different for him and he's, he's got to get used to that. Let's take it on to Arsenal starting eleven. Um, in terms of team news, we haven't actually heard from Mikel Arteta yet because the press conference that he gave ahead of the Leeds United game is embargoed until 10pm or something like that tonight. So we're not actually going to get those answers. We probably won't get those answers anyway because uh, Mikel Arteta never seems to want to give them with regards to the team. But it is my understanding that Gabriel Jesus is expected to be available despite missing training earlier in the week and obviously not being involved against Bodo Glimt. I think there's a there's a, a bit of a, a feeling, a worry, a concern. I don't really know how to put it within the Arsenal camp that Gabriel Jesus, having been someone that was in and out of the Manchester City side for a number of seasons, needs to be managed in terms of his fitness. He is so important to this team. This is not Manchester City where if he's missing for a couple of weeks, it doesn't really matter. Or there are ample replacements that can come in and, and do that job. What we have now is a striker who has been a transformative addition, in my opinion, who's taken our forward line to a totally new level. And as a consequence of that, Arsenal will feel, and Mikel Arteta will feel, like when the opportunity presents itself, we've got to wrap this guy up in cotton wool. And I think that's probably what they've done this week. I think they've probably studied sort of his results in terms of the sports science bit and all of that and felt like he needs a bit of a break. He obviously took that bang to the face as well against Liverpool. And so I'm expecting, based on what I've heard, that he will be available for Leeds United. And that will obviously be great for us. Um, with regards to other team news, we know that Elneny's out. We know that Smith Rowe's out. Um, I do expect Zinchenko to miss out as well, um, based on, on, again, what I've heard. But you know, you don't know. Mikel Arteta keeps his cards very close to his chest, so we'll have to see on that one. And therefore, my lineup picks itself. Uh, Ramsdale is the goalkeeper, back four of White, Saliba, Gabriel, and Tierney, with Partey, Xhaka, and Odegaard in midfield. Um, and then, of course, uh, Martinelli, Saka, and Jesus uh, through the middle. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's where I'm at. Oh, Paul James says that the. Uh, the press conference has just dropped, has it? I beg your pardon. Yeah, you're right. I beg your pardon. I don't know why I thought it was tonight. Um, good that it's now uh, because then we can include it uh, in the preview. Uh, look, let's see um, what we've got. Let's Yeah, look, uh, Gabriel Jesus, uh, whether he'll be in contention. I don't know. 
Obviously, he has some discomfort after the game against Liverpool, and that's why we decided not to take him to Norway. So let's see how he is tomorrow and Saturday. But this was given, this press conference was given yesterday. Uh, sorry, no, not yesterday. Uh, he says tomorrow and Saturday, which means Friday and Saturday, which means it was given on Thursday. Yeah, so things could have changed um, since then. Um, yeah, and, and thanks, Paul, for bringing that up. I don't know why I was under the impression that it was coming a little bit later on. I'd been told that there was an embargo on it, and normally those embargoes are, uh, are sort of late in the evening. But, yeah, my bad. Uh, thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. That's why I've got such great people uh, in the chat. Uh, okay, so that's my my lineup. Um, obviously, if Jesus isn't fit, you put Eddie and Ketty in there and you try and stay as close to what's worked as possible. In terms of a prediction, I'm going to go for a 3-1 Arsenal win. I think we've got firepower. I think we've got the ability, um, you know, to to hurt this team. I think they are going to try and play us. They're not going to sit too deep, not for the entire game anyway. It's just not the Jesse Marsh way. So I expect them to open up a little bit in that sense. And I think Arsenal hopefully will have enough to punish them uh, in that. Let me know uh, your predictions in the chat box as well. And if you're watching us live, there is a poll that you can get yourself involved in. Okay, um, I want to touch on a couple of other stories just quickly uh, before we sort of round off uh, this edition of the preview show. Um, Jurgen Klopp has been uh, quite forthright in his comments about Manchester City uh, over the last sort of 24 hours. That sparked a lot of debate. For some reason, uh, do you know what? I should just stay away from this stuff. Like, I replied to a tweet in which I said, I understand what you're saying. I understand the wider problem. I understand the wider issue of, of clubs like Manchester City being able to just have unlimited funds at their disposal and what that means and how difficult it is for everybody else to complain. So I've actually agreed with that point. But the point I wanted to make was that I find it a little bit weird listening to Liverpool complaining about teams spending money when they have just dropped £85 million on a striker and essentially neglected a midfield, which clearly needed updating. And so we can have the debate around where the money comes from. Did Liverpool earn that money? Is that Liverpool's money? Yes. So maybe it's more acceptable. That's a totally separate debate to the point that I was making. I agree that we have to be more diligent around where some of these funds are coming from. I agree that having state-owned football clubs is a problem and creates a huge chasm between them and everybody else. I totally agree with all of that. But my point being is that if you spend £85 million on a striker, can you really play the poverty card? If you spent £75 million on Virgil van Dijk, can you say that we can't compete in terms of the level of player that we can sign? The difference is that Manchester City have the money to be able to correct mistakes. And so there's very little margin for error when it comes to Liverpool, when they go and make big deals and big transfers like that. But players like Alisson, Naby Keita, they've all come in for big fees. And it's the same with Arsenal, right? We can't compete with Manchester City but given what we've spent and what we've managed to bring in, which is pretty much nothing over the last couple of seasons, I think it would be disingenuous of me to sit here and play the poverty card and moan about why we're nowhere near the top of the table because of money. Now, Jurgen Klopp didn't say any of this stuff 
not to my memory anyway, or wasn't as forthright in saying it in recent years when his side were competing. So I'm not saying he's totally wrong. I agree with the overall issue being an issue. I agree with the overall problem of the state-owned football clubs and what that does and how it impacts the rest of the game and the knock-on effects it has. I was tweeting the other night about Barcelona. You know, okay, their downfall is their own fault and their issues are, are mostly of their own making. But my worry was that if the gap between the Barcelonas and the Premier League clubs becomes bigger and bigger, that's not good for European football and it's not good in terms of competition and the Champions League and all of that stuff. So the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, we have an issue in football that Jurgen Klopp has highlighted. But I don't know that just months after they drop £85 million on a striker and overlook fixing their midfield, which is ultimately what's been, in my opinion anyway, their problem at the start of this season, that he can sit there and, and play the poverty card. That's what I find hard to digest. Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp is... All managers are like this to a degree, right? But I think with Jurgen Klopp, it's a bigger deal. He's someone who, when he's winning, is happy as Larry. He's happy to talk to anyone. He's very complimentary of other people. But when his team is struggling, as they have at the start of this season, he's a little bit um, he's a little bit spiky. And I think he, he, he likes to swing punches at people in the way that he never used to when he first came to the Premier League. Does he feel like he's earned that right now, having been here? Maybe. But listen you drop big money on, on a lot of big players yourself. And all I'm saying is that while people say, oh, the Haaland deal was cheaper, I I know that there was add-ons. I know that there are agent fees. I know that the salary plays a massive part on the total investment. I get all of that and I know all of that. And I'm not saying that that is irrelevant. All I am saying is if we're going to have this debate, if we're going to have this debate about money, then we need to have all the facts in front of us. And the facts are that Manchester City spent a lot on Haaland, but also recuperated a lot of money this summer with the sales of Sterling, Jesus, Zinchenko and more. Liverpool have also spent money um, as well. And I just want all the facts to be there when we're having that debate and that discussion. I've got pelters on Twitter for it. Obviously, as you do when you say anything that is not um, complimentary of Liverpool. But my intention was not to have a go at Liverpool. It was just to put the facts into the, the space that, yes, OK, I agree with the wider issue, which I said in multiple tweets. But I don't know the guy that spent £85 million on a striker when he completely ignored the real problem in his team or failed to address it, shall we say, should be the one leading this kind of moral crusade. Um, against Manchester City. That's that's just my view on it anyway. Uh, the other bit of news that I quickly wanted to touch on was uh, the news that Douglas Louise of Aston Villa has signed a new contract um, with the club that means uh, that our chances, I guess, of getting him in the summer, uh, I mean, in January, I beg your pardon, and maybe in the summer too, have decreased significantly. Now, I felt at the time that this was a little bit of a knee-jerk move from Arsenal. Yeah, he's someone that's been on our radar before. We've heard that in the past. But I did genuinely feel like with Douglas Luiz, we were looking at him. We had a valuation in our minds of what he was worth. We thought he's worth this. Let's try and do it now. Let's try and protect ourselves um, because of Partey being out of the time, El Nenny being out of the time, etc., etc. In the end, we decided not to do it. We decided not to keep pushing. 
Aston Villa rejected bids. It was right on the last day. So it was always going to be difficult to do. Arsenal tried their luck, but I don't think they were pulling their hair out when the deal failed to come to fruition. So I don't think Arsenal would be massively stressed about this. I think in the longer term, there are better players out there. There are players out there that we um, can go and get for similar amounts of money that would probably bring us more value on the pitch. So I'm not massively fussed about this. I saw it and I was a little bit surprised, but yeah, whatever. Like, it's not it's not the end of the world. Was I sort of beating the Douglas Louis drum massively? I thought it'd be a decent squad addition. But we want to go further than that. We want players that can compete in the first team. And him and Thomas Partey in comparison? Well, there's no comparison whatsoever. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at on that. Uh, just want to quickly uh, let you guys know uh, where I'll be at today as well. Looking forward um, to doing something a little bit different for BBC London Sport. I really, really am. Like, you know, initially when you kind of, when you get given these games, you look at them and you go, uh, like, you know, I was at Arsenal-Liverpool last weekend covering that game. So, like, it is quite a dramatic change. But actually, the more I've thought about it, the more I've researched it, and the more I've kind of delved into it, I'm really, really looking forward to what I've got today, which is a trip to Hendon FC. Those in North London will know where that is. Um, I'm going to cover their game against Chippenham Town in the fourth qualifying round of the FA Cup. Hendon with a chance to make the first round proper for the first time in a decade. Um, and I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be a really, really interesting game. You go to lower league football, you get much more access. You feel like you can live and breathe it a little bit more as well. So, yeah, it's going to be a different experience for me. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. And um, I'll tell you guys all about it, maybe, uh, on the next podcast. If you're interested, if you're not, just comment and say, we don't give a shit, mate, whatever. Uh, but for me, uh, it's something different. And um, I'm really looking forward to the experience of, of covering another game on the ground. Um, it's been a really good start to the season for me. Some great games. Um Spanning from sort of lower leagues, non-leagues to uh, league. I think I've done League Two. I've done Championship. I haven't done League One yet, but I've done League Two, Championship, Premier League. Uh, so, yeah, really, really enjoying this season. And um, again, just want to say thanks to you guys, because without your support, I wouldn't be doing this stuff. So thank you so, so much. Don't forget to leave a like on the video. It really, really, really does help when you do that. Um, we're nowhere near as many likes uh, as we want to have on the board. So please do like, please do subscribe as well. Uh, just having a quick glance at the poll. 89% of you think that Arsenal go to Ellen Road tomorrow and win. 8% of you have a Leeds win. Hmm. And uh, 3% of you. Uh, have voted for a draw. Look, it's not going to be easy. It never is at Leeds. Um, I think we can win. I think we should win. But I don't take anything for granted in this Premier League. It's the nature of the competition. And, you know, if we're at it, if we're at something close to our best, there's no reason why we don't take all three points. But if we're any way under it, then, you know, the door would be left open for a Leeds side with players capable of punishing us. Don't forget to leave a like. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to check out the Chronicles of Aguna Premium as well. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital, you can do so via uh, the information and the instructions in the description. Uh, we also unlocked last week's bit of premium content for everybody uh, to have a look at where I was joined by Jamal Fifield of Boreham Wood FC. Uh, check that out. 
And um, and if you like what you see and you want to subscribe for more, you can do so. It's not compulsory. I know it's a difficult time for people at the moment. But as I say, any support is very, very much appreciated. If you enjoy the content and you want more, you know what to do. I'll catch you all very, very soon. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, of course, uh, reacting to the game against Leeds United. I'm not going up there. So tomorrow night, tomorrow evening, um, after the Liverpool-Manchester City game as well, uh, we'll be bringing you a, a reflection of Arsenal's trip to Ellen Road. And maybe we'll talk about City-Liverpool as well, if there's any big talking points from that one. I'll catch you all soon. Until next time, take care, guys. All the best. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.